The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Y'all doing good? Been about, a, yeah, just about halfway through the sessions. Um, so mine that we're going to talk about this over this next half hour or so is on um, discipleship in the home, uh, primarily focusing on like, the early years. Um, so, you know, Bertie spent a good bit of time talking about teenage years. And um, so for me, my oldest is 10. And so, uh, not quite prepared to speak too much beyond that. Um, but man, it's been awesome. I, I, I love being a dad. I love being a husband. We got 10-year-old and 8-year-old, both girls. And then my youngest, 5, uh, his name's Walker. It's, you know, right there at the end. We, we figured either we're going to make one or buy one. Um, so, we, we, got, we got one. And uh, we may buy one anyway, because that just seems like an awesome thing to do. Um, or rent one. I don't know. Just there's so many options now, you know. Like, uh, but man, I, I love it, and I think, <laughs> yeah, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal, and and y'all know it. And that's why we're here. Is that's a big deal, you know? It just even if there wasn't, you know, an eternity, it'd still be a big deal. Just just the shaping and molding of a human being, how how they're gonna how they're gonna interact with the other human beings, right? Like what. What kind of husband is this kid going to grow up into? What kind of father? You know, how is he going to function in society? And, and like, man, that in and of itself is overwhelming, let alone because there is an eternity. And, and there's eternal weight, there's eternal weights of, of what we're doing, like of, of how we're molding, how we're shaping this person and, and, and what we're instructing them in. And so, man, feel that responsibility that's why really the first point I want to make is that when we think about discipling our kids, um, discipling them, disciplining them, shaping them, leading them, instructing them, it has to be built on the foundation of God's grace. It has to be um, for us, like for me. <laughs> I need to have both hands, white knuckle death grip on God's grace towards me. I better understand that well. Um, otherwise, I'm either going to become self-righteous and legalistic and crush the people in my life with that, or I'm going to despair, or I'm, and I'm going to run away from responsibility or become so insecure in my own failures that I, I'm paralyzed and I'm not investing. But if I, if I understand God's grace towards me, if I understand His forgiveness and love and mercy first and foremost— to me, I mean, that, that then gives me the foundation and the platform and the freedom to minister that same grace to the people I care the most about, right? To extend that grace to my wife, to extend that grace to my kids, and gives me the ability to push back from any one moment in time when I'm dealing with something and see that one moment in time in light of eternity, in light of this overarching work that God's doing in and through that one moment, right? 
so I don't get sucked into that moment where I'm just reacting and responding because then chances are I'll mess it up, right? I'll do it in the flesh. I'll do it out of anger. I'll, I'll correct in, in, in a moment of just want this behavior to stop right now. But man, if in grace I can push back from it and see how can I use this you know, misbehavior to teach them something that has eternal value. Man, that, that's freeing. But, but man, so that's, that's a daily thing for all of us. We each need to come face to face every day with the reality of God's grace through Jesus to us. So the first thing I want to look at is Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll, we'll really, we'll hit Ephesians 6, um, Deuteronomy 6, and then Hebrews 12 will be our main passages. Um, and I'll try to move fairly quick and, and be brief and leave time for conversation or just leave time for you to veg out before the next guy gets up and talks. So um, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So he speaks directly to the father here, uh, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that then this is also though the same instruction for the mother, um, and it's not getting into like not neutralizing genders. I just think in the family structure, the home that God has set up is, yeah, that the father would bear this responsibility, but then the, the role that the wife plays in the home is, yeah, that she comes underneath that as well, and they do this together. And so, but I do think it's nuanced where the father does need to hear, don't provoke. And so we'll come to that um, because that, that's huge. And it's easy, it's easy to provoke. And that can take on a whole lot of different um, forms, shapes, right? Like uh, provoking can just be that we frustrate our kids because of unrealistic expectations, right? To, to provoke them in such a way that they're, they don't desire the positive thing that he tells us to do, right? To bring them up in the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, in, in, in discipleship, in discipline, that they would become frustrated with even wanting to have anything to do with that. If we're constantly laying on them unrealistic expectations, if we're always finding fault, right? If, if, if we're not, it goes back to, man, through the lens of the gospel, if I'm not seeing them through the lens of the gospel, yeah, I can, I can pick them apart. They're always making mistakes. It's because they're human, right? Like, as human beings, we're going to fail, we're going to mess up, and, and that's where God's grace is so essential. If I don't see even my own faults and failures and shortcomings through the lens of the gospel, man, I'll, again, I'll be left where, man, I've got no no feet to stand on here. I've got no foundation. I, I've got no right to correct this person. But if I can see their faults through the lens of the gospel, man, then I can really, one, pick and choose how I'm going to deal with that. But, but if I'm always only seeing sin, sin that needs to be dealt with, if that's all I'm doing, then I'll put this weight and burden on them that they can't, they can't stand up underneath that. And Jesus slammed the Pharisees for doing that to people. And you're, you're putting all these weights and burdens on people, and then you don't offer a finger to help lift it? That it's a weight that you can't even carry? 
you know, that's the heart of legalism that leads to despair, and that'll, that will provoke a child to anger. That'll provoke a child to unbelief. That'll provoke a child from not wanting anything to do with the type of Jesus that you're presenting. And I'm saying you, not that you're doing that, but the, the danger here, right? The warning of not provoking a child. Um, so this looks like uh, heaping up rules, no grace, being harsh, uh, being inconsistent can provoke a child uh, when they really don't know one day to the next what's right and what's wrong, what gets you in trouble and what makes you laugh, right? One day you laugh at it and the next day you've had enough of it. That inconsistency, that'll provoke them. Um, being hypocritical, and I think it's worth stopping here and saying, yeah, being hypocritical will provoke a child, right? So does that mean that we are supposed to be perfect? I, I don't think that's, being hypocritical is it doesn't mean, or not being hypocritical doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means that when you mess up, you're going to own it, right? Because if I can teach my kid that, you know what, I, I lost my cool. I was harsh. You know what? Uh, the way that I responded to what you're doing was worse than what you were doing. Like what? Okay, so you disrespected your mom, and you should not have done that. And, and, and I should have disciplined you, but I, I blew it. I lost my cool, and I yelled at you, and I was harsh and unkind, and I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. Man, that, that, that's not hypocritical. That's just showing, yeah, I'm a sinner, and guess what I still desperately need? Grace. Grace. Man, that is a gospel moment, right? And I, I'll tell you, the, some of the best conversations I've had with my daughters is right there, where I've had to go back into their room and apologize and own it. Now, I also feel the weight of, I only get so many of these, right? If that becomes consistent, well, then that apology doesn't mean anything. So I, I, but I, I need to feel the weight of it. That okay, yeah, I messed up, and I, I'm not a better dad if I act like, you know, it didn't happen, or I'm not a better dad if I pretend like, well, because you were so wrong, that that she, they need to know, man, that's the type of response that gets. No, man, if you're wrong, own it, teach them, show them what humility looks like, show them what it looks like to, hey, I, I had to go before Jesus before I came back in here and confess to him this sin. Um, neglect, neglect can provoke them. And not just neglect, like, that we would leave and not be in the home anymore, but just where other things take priority. Where other things take priority. And I'm not going to go through a list of examples. I think we can all find it, right? But maybe just a few where, man, is it my work? Do I communicate with my life? that my work or my, for me, my call to ministry is more valuable than them? Am I communicating that with my time and my affection? Is it, is it my phone, <laughs> right? S silly things, that, but man, what am I really communicating? Am I neglecting time and conversation with my kids because I'm sucked into the little world on my phone? That matters, that matters. So that neglect can provoke them. But on the positive side, so the warning, God's gracious to give us warnings. Say, man, don't do this. Don't go down that road, but do this instead, right? But bring them up 
and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he says, bring them up. Uh, real quick, that phrase there in the original language, it, it's the idea of to nourish, to feed. Um, it really has this picture of this gentleness, this kindness, um, this tenderness, uh, and, and not in a feminine way necessarily, unless you're a female, then it should be feminine. But it's just, yeah, as male, like their male tenderness should look different than female tenderness. And, but, and it's no less important, right, that, that we have this idea of, all right, how I'm growing this person, how I'm shaping this eternal soul, I need to be gentle, and I need to see it as nourishing them, nourishing their soul, nourishing their minds, nourishing their emotions, nourishing their understanding of the Lord. So he says discipline, and this does bring in the idea of uh, punishment, like that kind of discipline, correction, um, which we'll touch on more in a minute, but um, it's such a huge thing. Discipline is such a huge thing. And I know for me, the home that I grew up in, uh, discipline with one parent tended towards uh, physical and emotional abuse, just the violence of it, the hopelessness in it, the, the uh, really, I guess, the fault finding and the, the demeaning, sarcastic nature uh, meant it was destructive. Um, and on the other side, it was probably too lenient, and I think in over reaction to what was happening on the other side. Um, and I think maybe right here would be a good time to pause and say this. Uh, man, we are, not, we are not destined to repeat the sins of our parents. We're not destined to that, right? Um, and that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel brings redemption, it brings healing, and it brings hope. Uh, and I know I can just speak for myself that for a long time I felt trapped to that. I felt like tractor beam, can't get away, I'm becoming my dad. Uh, but man, the gospel frees us, frees us to be able to learn from our parents and what was good, what do I want to intentionally reproduce, and what, what do I need to leave behind? What do I need to have, you know, that blueprint that gets hardwired into us? You know, it's two different metaphors, but you're tracking with me. Um, that blueprint that gets hardwired, downloaded downloaded into us that is going to always be our default, how do I have that overwritten by the gospel? How do I look to Jesus in such a way that, yeah, I don't unconsciously become the same parent that my dad was? How do I become the parent that honors Jesus? How do I become a father like my heavenly father? You know, we're not destined to repeat. In, in fact, we can learn so much from the failures of our parents, and we can even learn it in a way that doesn't uh, minimize the good that they did, right? That I can still appreciate who they are and what they did for me, even though I maybe want to do things differently. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll talk more about discipline in a minute. Uh, instruction, though, I did want to hit that because the instruction, the word he uses, it's verbal. It's the, it's the idea of placing something before their mind. Um, but that really should happen both in our words and our deeds, the positive side of instructing them. So... It's an overwhelming task, right? Don't provoke them. Don't do anything to screw this up and make sure you bring them up to love Jesus more than anything, right? I mean, that is overwhelming. It's an overwhelming task. So I want to back up into Ephesians chapter 5 for just a minute, and I want to look at how all that's qualified. Because even the idea of how children are supposed to submit to us, it's in light of 
the gospel. It's in light of, first and foremost, submitting to the Spirit. And I'm not teaching in the main sessions for the, the retreat, and so I'm not sure what all they'll get into, but everything in this uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6 where wives submit to husbands, husbands uh, love your wife like Christ loves the church, masters and, and servants, like all these relationships are predicated on what he says about our relationship to the Holy Spirit. All the submiss- sub, uh, submitting and leading, all of it is only possible as we do first take in um, chapter 5, verses 15 and following. It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, here it is, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. This becomes the qualification for everything else that follows. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See that? Filled with the Spirit and reverence for Christ, submit to one another, and then he unpacks that submitting to one another more specifically in all these relationships. So as a parent, to not provoke our kids, to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, he's telling us, yeah, do it out of reverence for Christ, but you have to. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You have to be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's the only way this is possible. We can't do this in our strength. We need His grace, and if we'll do that, if we'll daily seek His grace to be filled with the Spirit to empower us to, to be able to, in that moment, when they're, right, when your kid is jumping on your last nerve, when, when, when you've had it, when you're exhausted, whether that's you've been home all day with them or you have come home from work and you've got nothing left in the tank and they have the spiritual gift to be able to see into your soul and, and to know what will annoy this person the most. How can I best get underneath this person's skin? And then they do it on repeat, right? In that moment, how do you not kill this little person? You can physically do it so easy. You can probably even get rid of the body and get away with it for a long time. How do you not kill them? And we need, <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? It's only through the power of the Spirit that we do this well, right? So, um, I wanted to look at, from there, the idea of discipline and instruction. I want to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6 that says this so well. I think Zach alluded to it earlier. Um, to more look at the instruction, the, the positive side of this. We pick up in verse 4, and this is uh, Israel, this was their anthem. What, what he says here. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here it is. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and, you shall, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay? So it's, again, heavy, right? I mean, teach this to your kids. Teach this to your kids. But again, the foundation is you. You love the Lord your God. You love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then teach that. Right? This isn't just the passing of information. Passing of information is key. Like, we need to do that. There, we're going to talk in a second about what he's laying out is that there should be formal times of instruction and informal. But both of those times fail if the, the truth that we speak about who God is and why we need him and how we're to follow him, all of that fails and crumbles and falls away and just provokes them. If it's not built on, then our lives reflecting that I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus, that I love Jesus with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, that, that I'm pursuing this knowledge, that, that these, these truths are written on my heart. Man, if my instruction to them is built on that, then that gives them the example to follow, right? This is what I call the Miyagi principle. Like Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi. How did he teach Danielson karate? Right, do you remember the beginning of the movie? He's just reading that book in his living room, getting beat up. Loser. But then, Mr. Miyagi takes him to his house, and he starts giving him the, all these jobs to do, and he's teaching them all these moves, and Daniel's son doesn't even know that he's learning karate until, remember that this is the best scene in the movie, I think. Well, there's a couple of best scenes. Uh, but the best, one, of the, one of the best scenes in the movie is when, you know, he's, he's done. He's been sanding the deck all night, and he's like, I'm out of here. You, you went fishing, and, he, and he's fixing to leave. And Mr. Miyagi looks at him and says, show me paint the fence. Right, right, that's the best accent I can do. Um, <laughs> show me paint the fence. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's like, uh, and he's like, no, and he makes him go through the motion. And then he starts throwing punches at him, and he's like, whoosh, whoosh. he's blocking. He's like. And he doesn't realize, but he's learned karate because he's just picked it up through these tasks that he's been doing alongside of him. And I think, man, there's a super important principle there that, yeah, we do learn better that way, right? I, I could sit my family down for 30 minutes every night and do some Bible study and fill their head with knowledge, and I'd probably either create a little Pharisee or a kid who's going to run away from the Lord as soon as he's out of my house, right? But if I'll do this as we go along the path, right? As we drive down the road in the truck, as we go on that hike, as we, as I, you know, drop them off at school or the ball field, or whatever it is, if I'm constantly showing them, this is what a life looks like that loves the Lord. So much of, so much of their pursuit of the Lord is going to one day dawn on them when they're 18, 20 years old, like, my parents were discipling me. I've been discipled. My whole life has been discipleship. So he says, um, I'll find it. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit down, sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So let's talk about uh, formal and informal times of discipleship. Uh, I think the first one there is when you sit down in your house. I think this is pointing towards a formal time. Um, and so for us with young kids, uh, man, we've had a blast with this. It, it, it's been awesome. It's been one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, and, you know, when it dawned on me that I was preparing sermons for teenagers and our church and that, uh, but I was just kind of like piecing together time with the family and realizing, wait a second, I'm, I'm dumping hours of preparation to preach to these people and like, not these people, like, love y'all, but, like, the people that I love the most, I'm kind of, like, give, doing a cute little story, like, man, time out to really prepare for this, this formal time. It's very important. That's not just a pastor thing. That's a parent thing, to prepare for the formal times, and so we've done this a lot of different ways, and I, I'm just going to share what's worked in our home, and maybe it'll create some ideas in your mind, or, or you take it and say, yeah, this is how it would work in our house, but for us, we've done this, uh, with our two oldest, um, what we realized early on was connecting the most was acting out stories. Um, so we'd sit down, and I just knew right away I was losing them. I was losing them, you know, as soon as I started teaching, even if I was reading, I was losing them. And I didn't want devotions to be, hey, sit down, be quiet, put that down, don't touch that, get back over here, are you paying attention, show respect. Blah, 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 wah, 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 can't wait for this is over, just want to go to bed. Everything else in life is more fun than Jesus. I didn't want devotions to be that, right? Because right, better, better is 10 minutes of laughing and playing with two minutes of truth than 10 minutes of yelling and two minutes of sitting down still with hurt feelings in a closed-off heart, right? Yeah, and no, we don't want that. And so I, I learned this from the Holloways early on. I remember when I was in, when I was, when I was just working summer staff, um, I was early 20s. I remember one weekend going over to their house and he was going to do devotions with his kids. And Tucker was in pull-ups and he was bouncing from couch to couch, playing with army men. And his oldest daughter, his oldest daughter was drawing something, you know, on the floor over here and then Little was kind of in and out with the baby, and uh, and he just started teaching. And I thought, isn't he going to, like, tell Tucker to sit down? Like, I'm distracted, you know. And, and um, But then he started, he was throwing out questions, and Tucker would answer, Kilby would answer, and having a conversation. And I realized, oh, they're enjoying this. They're engaged. They are, it, it is getting through. I thought, man, it's brilliant. And I've seen it work so well. And so what I, when I realized that just sitting down and reading for our kids at that point wasn't working, um, I got them involved in, act, we called them act outs, because uh, we would just act out the story. So, I'm, I'm, you know, the one that always stands out, uh, the two really, David and Goliath, it was easy. You know, they get to kill the giant and chop off my head. Um, and then Eglon and Ehud, which if you don't know that story from uh, Judges chapter 3, you should. It's the story of the very fat king who gets stabbed, and then it says that the dung fell out. So acting that out is just awesome. Um, but man, it, their retention of the stories, and I would have them 
and I was just feeding them lines right from Scripture, or if I was acting out a part, my wife is just feeding them their lines from Scripture, they're saying Scripture, and then thinking about what it means, and we would even act out like application, and it would just, man, it was so rich. And so and then that developed into where, you know, as they got older, we would do more uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, reading the stories, and then from just my normal Bible and having my, now my oldest kid, she'll read, um, and she'll put together the act out. She doesn't really want to get up and do that anymore. She, you know, that's, she's way too mature for that, but she loves telling the younger two what to do. She's not too mature for that. That's one of her favorite things in life. So if I can tap into that and use it like, hey, why don't you put together the Bible study? Why don't you go read, take 10 minutes, go read David and Goliath, and then I'll be Goliath, Walker will be David, and, uh, and Marissa is going to be both armies at different times. Cool? So you, you give us our lines, you, and man, she embraces that, and that's been great. Some nights come home, and I'm not prepared, and I've got nothing. And I think Zach alluded to it, the, some of the videos that we use that, man, yeah, I put in those full of eyes videos and then pause it and talk about it. You know, just, man, it's great. It's we're together, we're enjoying this, and we're focused on Jesus. And if it leads to more conversation, that's awesome. And so um, we still do that. We, we do that. Uh, we watch different videos. Sometimes we watch a series together. Uh, but a lot of it is just uh, here's a passage, read it talk about it, um, if sometimes still act it out, uh, but just making it not awful. <laughs> I think if sometimes if we just stop and think, man, we can make this awful, or we can make it enjoy. Same thing with supper time, when I realized, man, I was making supper time such, I, I was ruining it. I was ruining it by yelling about vegetables, and when it dawned on me, like, why am I doing that? This, this little human it has an innate desire to survive. So, what I, so I changed supper time from me saying, eat that, eat that right now, pick it up and eat it. It's cold and gross. It's going to make you gag. Do it right now. I changed that scene to, you know what? This is what you get. This is all the food that you can have tonight. If you eat all of it, there might be something later, but not until this is gone. That's, that's how we roll. And then if they ate it then or not, I just stopped caring. And you know what happened? We would like laugh, smile, talk, and they do. They get hungry. Eventually they get hungry and they want to eat. And they started eating. It was great. And that's still the rule. Like, yeah, there'll be snacks or dessert later, but first you have to eat this. Man, it just, it just changed the perspective, the, the, the lens that I saw it through and made for the family everything way more enjoyable. I thought, why am I yelling about vegetables? You know what I don't like? vegetables. I did, I had to overrule my wife on one thing, because she was telling the kids that they did have to eat all their broccoli, and my oldest just wants to eat the tops, and I never graduated from that. I still will only eat the tops of the broccoli. The stalks are gross, man, <laughs> like, so I was like, you know what, let's, let's show them grace. Let's be MRSA, spiritualize this. I don't want to eat those. <laughs> We're not going to be hypocritical, Let's just not make anybody eat the stocks. Um, so the informal times, uh, oh, I will say this, uh, it's been cool translate um, with my oldest. She reads really well. She loves to read. And 
uh, she wants to read everything. The Bible, a lot of times, is still very difficult and confusing for her and potentially boring. Um, and so just how can I come alongside that aid? And so we'll have our own little studies, uh, you know, where I'll ask her to go read, and we'll go talk about it. We'll read it together, just the two of us. Uh, she really values that right now. Right now, she's really valuing just me and her time, or just her and her mama. Has been, uh, and it started earlier, but I think right now it's really, as she's getting closer to becoming a preteen, is intensifying that she wants some separation from her younger siblings. And so I could try to force her to not think that way, or I could just tap into it and use it for the gospel. Like, okay, you want some just me and you time? All right, yeah, let's make that, let's me and you have our own little study. Oh, that'll just be for me and you? Yeah, we'll just, we'll go through a book of the Bible just ourselves, and it'll be like, you know, just make it this special thing, and then great, what are we doing? I'm teaching her about Jesus, teaching her to love the Lord with all her heart, soul, and mind, and her strength, and that's great. So, uh, informal times, are gold, right? The formal time's important, informal times are gold. Uh, and this is where we just have to prioritize. We have to prioritize, we have to, you know, because you may have all kinds of time with them where it doesn't feel like anything special is happening, but just know that, man, this, this investment is huge. Um, so for me, these times are, uh, in our home, is uh, laying with them in bed. We, we've just made this, if, if, if I'm not at camp super late, or I'm not on the road, uh, I'm laying in one of their beds, and we rotate. So, like last night, I laid with the girls, and it was my turn with Molly. And sometimes it's hard to remember. And then you go to, the, then I go to the boys' room, and then the next time I'm in Marissa's bed, and and, and I'm reading to him. I'm just reading to him fiction, um, and and hanging out. We've done our formal time of Bible study before that, and then I'm just reading to him a fiction story and talking, and and then some. A lot of times that just ends with me falling asleep with the book on my chest and one of them elbowing me, and barely make it to the end of the chapter, good, okay, and then I stumble off to bed. Um, that's most nights, uh, is an elbow in the ribs, and then I get up. Um, but then there's a lot of times where that time will end, one of them will fall asleep, and the other one will call them over and do like a little back rub, and this is, you know, this could be me time, right? Because we've just, I've gotten home from work, supper, you know, whatever, chores around the house, Bible study, clean the kids up, get stuff set up for tomorrow, and now into bed, and this could easily just be me time. But man, <laughs> it, I'm not going to get emotional. I'm not going to do it. Because, you know, my daughter's 10, which means I'm probably over halfway done with her in my house. There's going to be plenty of just me time, right? So I'm going to take that train. <laughs> Bryson City. Um, but to lay down and to, to have the little conversation, this is, this is one they'll open up. That's when they'll open up. That's when my daughter will tell me who she thinks is cute. You know? And I'm going to listen. And <laughs> as, soon as, it, as soon as it starts, then I can't stop it. Okay, here we go. Picturing things that aren't emotional. Got it. Um, you know, this is when, I remember the first time she, she told me about a, a boy that she thought was cute, and, and I just, I just dove right into it with her. Like, I was just like, you know, I was like, man, he, he's a cool kid. I think, man, he's really funny, and, 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 uh, and I think I caught her soft guard, because she was kind of like, do I share this? And I didn't, there was, there was no judgment, there was no, well, you know, you're not old enough. 
yeah, she was eight, you know, like, uh, you know, just in, to dive into this moment, and man, I think the trust that was, that I, I wanted to build right in that moment, so that when she is 16, and there's a guy, like, I want there to be open communication, and so I'm investing in that moment where I could go just watch, you know, Sunday Night Football, whatever, like, man, this is gold, I need this time, and to, in an informal way, speak the truth of the gospel into relationships. So uh, yesterday, we were driving down the road, coming back from a church thing, and uh, she mentioned somebody on her volleyball team that had been taking a lot of selfies, and so we were kind of laughing about it and joking, and um, and I, I just like threw it out there. I was like, why do you think people take selfies? And she's like, oh, I don't know. You just see what you look like, and this little conversation. Well, the conversation started there, but it ended with finding her identity in Christ and what what real beauty is. And I thought, man, that's awesome, because I've tried to have those conversations with her, just cold turkey, and I don't have to tell you how that went, right? (laughs) Nowhere, you know, like, totally disinterested, there's a word, interested. But man, to start, like, just because my antenna's up, but I'm really just enjoying being with her, and she feels that, and she knows that, and she was open. I know those informal times, that's what he's talking about here. As you're going, as you're walking down the road, man, teach him to love the Lord. Yeah, but you can't, we can't fake that. Like, our antennas won't be up if we don't really love the Lord more than anything. We're not going to take advantage of those moments. We'll be short. We'll be selfish. We'll be disinterested ourselves if we're not filled with the Spirit because we won't have a submissive attitude. If I submit to the Spirit, I'm going to submit to other people in relationship, including my kids. That doesn't mean I do what they want to do, it means I'm submitting to prioritizing them and their relationship with the Lord, right? So I've, I've talked way too slow. Um, let's just, can you, will you give me three more minutes? Great, thanks. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. I just want to say a couple things about discipline um, at this age. So Hebrews 12, but uh, I'm going to read this. Um, yeah, so Hebrews 12, I'll read this first. Um, verse 7, uh, back up to verse 5. Uh, let's go ahead and go to 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, we're talking to Christians, adult Christians, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Um, you have forgot, have you, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves." and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all, you, in which all of you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay. I'm not going to go into the context of Hebrews, but the big picture is what he's saying is this difficult stuff that you guys are gro- going through, God knows about it and he's using it. This is like a father disciplining his child because what God has over you is this eternal view. He's using this momentary difficult stuff to shape you for all of eternity. And then he relates it. He says, y'all know this is like a father with his kid, right? The father disciplines not for the moment, but for the shaping of this child. And I think, man, this is it right here. Like, if we can view discipline through the lens of what God is doing in this child's life for all of eternity, it's huge. If I can see that, okay, I don't, I don't want to, man, I don't want to spank him right now. I, I don't want to, you know, this is going to take 30 minutes. Do I really want to deal with this? Yeah, yeah. And think about your relationship with God, the thing, the trials and temptations that he allows you to go through that have eternal purpose. This is what James talks about. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's using everything in your life to grow you. He's saying, man, that's how we should discipline our kids. That's what a godly father, that's what a godly mother does is sees discipline as shaping a soul. So, um, for me, uh, and and I'm stuttering because I'm trying to pack everything in, um, and because I'm not a great communicator. Those two reasons, but that's it. For me, so often, as I'm heading to deal with something, what, what pulls, what reins me back in, and I don't do this perfectly, and I have had to apologize to my kids more times than I would like to admit. But what pulls me back in is if I remember how God disciplines me, his patience with me, his reason for disciplining me. So if I can see if this isn't about this moment, and if if there's anybody's flesh that I got to get control of around here, better be mine first, right? If somebody, if somebody's out of line, if somebody's in danger of sinning and breaking the peace and harmony of this home, it's probably me. And so before I get their flesh under control, I better get my flesh under control. I better submit myself to the Lord before I demand it of them, right? Because I'm bigger than them, so my sin's probably worse than theirs, right? My sin's going to have bigger implications and consequences, so I better make sure before I go in that room and deal with it that I've got my mind right, my heart right. Man, and if we'll do that, if we'll embrace God's grace towards us, see it through the lens of the gospel, chances are you'll handle that moment in the room a lot better. You'll handle it right. If you'll see it as discipleship, not just discipline. If you'll see it as correction and not punishment. If you'll see it as shaping who this person is forever. If you'll see it as teaching them the gospel if you will see every discipline episode as teaching them the gospel. And I'll never forget my oldest when I was disciplining her. And part of the way, and I think it's probably in the bullet points that Brody gave you. I didn't read it, but uh, I've learned all these things from watching their family. Um, In that moment, to never bring up past sin, right? To deal with this, and when it's over, 
it's done. I don't bring it back up. But I remember disciplining my daughter for something she had done a bunch. And she had done it again, and I didn't bring up that she had done it a bunch, but she did. And I remember her saying, I just can't be good. And I thought, yes, 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 that's the gospel. That's why we're in here. That's why we do this. Feel the sting of sin. Feel that you can't do it right. Why? So she'll realize I'm messed up. Why? How do I do better? I can't do better. I keep trying. I mess up. That's right. You keep messing up. Woohoo! That's good. Why? Because she'll see that she needs a Savior. I remember that conversation so good and saying, that's right. You know what? You can't be good. And her going like, <laughs> I say, it's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. You know what? I can't do it. I can't do it. I still mess up. That is why we need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need his grace. Man, that's huge. That's worth however long I take out of every day to deal with discipline. Feel like we're getting nowhere. Feel like you're spinning wheels. Just annoyed, frustrated. Time out, stop. Before you go in, get right with the Lord. There is an eternal soul that you're about to deal with. Not a moment. Not an issue. Not an ugly face or ugly thing said. Not that he hit his sister. We're going to deal with that. That's on the surface. What's deeper is my five-year-old has an eternal soul. It's going to spend forever somewhere. And right here, right now, I can teach him about Jesus. So uh, that's all I have. I want 44 minutes. So I apologize for going over. Take a break, stretch your legs, and um, come back to it later. All right, appreciate y'all.